This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button portion stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, It is time once again for the Evidence for Faith radio show. Hello, I'm Keith Kendricks, and with me today is our special guest, Kirk Hastings. Hello. Kirk, um, you've been a a guest several times here on the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Well, I uh, live in Summers Point. Uh, I'm kind of a writer, at least I like to think that I am. I do graphic design mainly, but I write on the side. I've written a couple of books. One, of course, which is called What is Truth that you've been particularly interested in because it deals with the same topic that this show does, the evidences for the Bible and for Christianity. And you've also written an article, hasn't been published yet, but an article about the problem of evil. Yes. The problem that if there is a good God... How can a good God exist with so much evil in the world? Right. So we're going to be talking about that today and uh, have you give us your insights on that topic. We talked about it last week. We introduced the concept and and went through some of it. But uh, before we get into that, a couple of news items. Do you remember that we spoke with one of the missionaries who got arrested in... Dearborn, Michigan, and uh, his name is Nabil Qureshi. Mm-hmm. He gave us his account of, of what happened when he was arrested. And the news reports, though, of course, didn't really uh, side with him so much. It was, you know, they were siding with the some of the reports I've seen sided with the police and that, you know, he was arrested because he was causing a disturbance and there mm-hmm. was a near riot situation. <laughs> And the police arrested him, and on this show, he told us that, no, he was simply merely talking quietly with some people that were hanging around him, asking him questions about the difference between Christianity and Islam, Mm -hmm. and uh, he was approached and arrested. Um, So, uh, now... There you are, folks. The police state is here. (laughs) Yes. Well, at least in Dearborn, Michigan. So... (laughs) So hasn't um, come to Summer's Point yet, but who knows? It might be on its way. <laughs> now the the missionaries who were there had been had trouble the year before because uh, uh, security guards uh, kicked them out and were very abusive to them. So they went back with video cameras and they had three video cameras: one close by, one behind the crowd, and then one a distance away. And what the police did is they went from the outside in and they arrested the person furthest away who was doing nothing but videotaping about 15 minutes before they arrested uh, the, the others, the three others. Right. And at that time, there wasn't even a crowd around. Nobody had been talking to them. So uh, You should mention that wasn't this some kind of a conference on Islam or something yeah, it was that Arab, was going on? Arab Fest. Arab Fest. Arab right. Fest, yeah. So okay. And um, they have apparently they have about 300,000 visitors come through for that festival. 
Hmm. Well, they took away the uh, news, the um, video cameras, and so there was nothing that the guys had to defend their situation except their word. Right. So now the videos have been released, and they've been posted. So they were posted Friday, and we get to hear exactly what did happen. So, so what I want to do is I want to play. It's about a four-minute segment that just sets up. This is basically starts right from the moment that that and you'll hear Nabil this is Nabil Qureshi speaking to a group of Muslims and uh, he's prior to this prior to this sound starting he's actually praying with a Christian missionary there uh, somebody that he had just met a few minutes before and they you know were talking and and they started to pray together and then Mm -hmm. this missionary leaves and Nabil turns to his friend and says something about that he's going to eat this sandwich that he has. And then somebody taps him on his shoulder and asks him a question. That's where we're going to pick up and take a listen to it and th- see if you think that this required Nabil to be arrested for the safety of the people at the fair. So here's, here's and so it starts out with him saying that he's going to, I think he says, can I eat this uh, falafel, which is a, Middle Eastern sandwich. <laughs> Go ahead, Tom. Can I can I eat this falafel? Yeah. What's up? Now it's a little quiet here, so we might have to crank it up a little bit, and then it gets louder. I have no problem. Is that why I have I have no problem with Muslims. Then why are you making all those videos? Why are you trying to make us look bad? I'm not trying to make you guys look bad. When we when we exactly when we made the video last year, when we when we made the video last year. We made it explicitly clear that it was the security we had an issue with. Not everyone at the festival, the security. Then we put up a video afterwards saying, we want to make this perfectly clear. We don't have any issue with the people there. We have no issue with the people at booths. We only have issues with people at security. So I, I got no issue with you guys. None no, of but you didn't say that in the videos. I was just saying the Islamic people as a community are just all bad. And are all my mom is Muslim. My dad is Muslim. My sister is Muslim. All my cousins are Muslim. I love Muslim. I got no problem with the Muslim community. Security guards here that we made the video. So, so you came here looking for trouble with the security guards? Why well, are you side making all these videos? I That's a good question. That. We came here yesterday, uh, last year, and we saw a pamphlet that we had a question about. So we went to the booth who gave us the pamphlet, and we said, "Hey, can we ask you a question about this?" And uh, they, they said, "They said, yeah. They said, they said, yeah. You can uh, ask the question." I don't understand. I didn't see you at like the spirit festival. Why are you here another year in a row? I just happened to be here last year. It was like my first time. Why are you here? Why we want to see if it's going better this year. We want to see if it's better this year than it was last year. Are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm pretty not, sure it's all the way around. I think you're looking for more trouble. We're not looking for trouble. We want to see things are better. And generally, things have been better. Security hasn't been hitting us. Security hasn't been assaulting us. So things are better. I'm glad about that. And we're talking right now, and no one's stopping us from talking. So I'm glad about these things. This is the very reason I'm here, to make sure you and I can talk. So you're here to preach? I would like to preach. We haven't even gotten to that point yet. So preach to me, then. I would like to preach to you. Why is Christianity better than Islam? Because Jesus Christ did not claim to be just a prophet. He said he was here to receive worship. He did receive worship. He forgave people's sins. He miraculously healed people. He died on the cross and rose from the dead. These truths have changed my life, have absolutely changed my life. And, and I find it so important to let people know about these things that I will tell anyone and everyone who will listen. So I'm glad you asked the question. Why is Allah like that either? Why is there more yeah. than one Bible? Why is it Allah? You're saying, why, why, what makes Jesus better than Allah? All right, all right. Who, who? Okay, I got a bunch of you guys who are asking questions. So did like four of these guys. Yeah. I want to. I want to. A man, a man, a human. When was so, Jesus decided God? What? When was Jesus decided as a God? 
That's an excellent question. 325 years after the Roman consul declared him as God. No, people are worshiping Jesus as God less than a decade after his death. That's not, how could Jesus be a God if he came, like any of us came out, out of a woman? He came like a, any other man comes out of a woman. Yeah. So in the Old Testament, we see a prophecy saying that a child will be born to you and he will be the mighty God. So in the Old Testament, it actually says the mighty God will be born as a child to you. And in actuality, it can't just be like a, a half God. It, it actually says the everlasting Father, Aviad, will be born to you. So this is a, this is a prophecy we knew would happen. Right, but how does God die? You said after his death, he was be God. That's an excellent question. What we find in the New Testament is that in order, in order for, for God to take our sins away from us, he can't just wave them away. Uh, if God were just to wave away sins, he wouldn't be a just God. So he takes our sins upon himself. He says, all right, I can't just wave these sins away. That wouldn't make me a just God. I'm going to pay those sins for you. That's how much he loves us. And so he comes into the world as a man, and he takes our sins for us. He does it all voluntarily. He doesn't have to do any of this. Have you met Jesus yourself? Say again? <laughs> Not that. These are great questions, guys. I'm loving this. Anyone else have a question? Yeah. Uh, where, where in the Bible says, can you find uh, in the Bible where it says, uh, when Jesus says, I am God, right worship this me? Point, well, in the Bible, one of the video when people, camera guys is getting arrested. In any Bible, there's 80 of them. If you find me. Okay. There's 80 Bibles, but there's only one. Let me. Okay. Can you have the police over there? Let go of the mic. Are you legally allowed to take the Yes. Let go of the mic. Okay. Okay, you can cut her there. Okay, so that was Nabil inciting a riot. Wow, that was a great defense, though, that he squeezed <laughs> into like less than a minute. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Just a couple of minutes, he gave the gospel. It was very clear. Yeah. And you could see if anybody was doing any kind of taunting, that it was actually one of the guys in the in the people. And the, by in the crowd, crowd, in the yeah. crowd there was, um, actually, you count, it was about 12 people. There may have been as many as 15 people um, that were just kind of listening but it was mainly one guy who was kind of taunting Nabil, you know, you came here to cause trouble, Yeah. you know. And, uh, and he was just responding to what everybody right. was saying and asking him. He wasn't initiating anything there. Th that's right. Wow. That's right. So, yeah, he just wanted to eat his sandwich, and uh, somebody <laughs> tapped him on the shoulder and decided to get him uh, talking, and then the uh, police came well, along and arrested him. Well, I guess he's changed him. his mind now about problems with the security, right? <laughs> yeah, now the problems are not with security. Now the problems are with the Dearborn Police Department, so... <laughs> So we'll see. We'll kind of keep you informed uh, how that uh, scenario goes and, and keep you up to date. If you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. I'm Kirk Hastings, guest host for the week. That's right. And this is the show where we teach you how to defend the truths of Christianity, where we explain the benefits of Christianity for personal happiness and for human flourishing. We are sponsored in part by Grace Community Church of Waterford Works, and you can check us out on our website, evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence, the number four, faith.com. Well, I've got another uh, news item. This was, I picked this up from Chuck Colson's breakpoint that he does. He sends, uh, it's a daily kind of blog uh, that he does, and and uh, Chuck Colson does a prison ministry and does a, a worldview, Christian worldview ministry. And he 
did an editorial, a blog, about whether or not the Afghan war meets the criteria for the just war theory. Hmm. Okay? I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of just war theory. Yes. Kirk? Okay, yeah. so you are. So, um, now, I don't want to get into whether or not the Afghan war is justified or not. Uh, Colson seems to think that right now it's not justified because the Af- Afghanistan, what its government was basically uh, tribes and uh, tribal coalitions, and it never did have a centralized government uh, like Iraq did, and that uh, even though we were right to go in and uh, put the Taliban out of power, now that we're there, we're trying to create a government that they never had. We're trying to force a political answer to the situation that has never existed in the past there. And so he thinks that crosses the line in uh, just war theory. This is like nation building rather yes, than like exactly. self-defense. That's right. And in the Christian uh, just war theory, uh, war is always a last result and not used for things like changing somebody's um, political situation merely. Right. So Just to either defend yourself or to defend someone else, such yeah. as when we went in and defended Kuwait from being invaded. That's right. That's right. That was, again, that fit the criteria for and just war. And, of course, war. World War II is the perfect example of a just war. Yes. So now, um, so I don't, I don't bring this up to get into the question of whether or not we should be in Afghanistan or whether we not sh- we should get out. But I bring it up to make a comparison between what Christianity offers the world and what you would have without it. Without the Christian just war theory, you're left with nothing to guide you into whether a war ought to be started or whether a war ought to be stopped. Uh, think about it. Um, the only other alternative, there are two other alternatives. Uh, one is that might makes right. So if you're the strongest, you're the biggest nation. Because I've got the biggest army, I'm going to invade you. That's type right. Type of thing. Exactly. Or, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna do whatever I want. And, you know, we Which saw that during the... tyrants throughout history have done. Exactly right. right. So there's no, there's nothing to control them. There's nothing to uh, guide them. No standard. Or the other option that those on the left have besides might makes right is all war is wrong right all war is morally reprehensible period right now it's funny because the left of course we can agree with the fact that no war is a nice pleasant thing it's a nasty business no matter what the reason for it is that's right but in the christian worldview there are many nuances there are many you know we recognize the incredible uh difference between whatever you do is right and or do nothing right but on the left the leftist view they are stuck with either or everything is black or white there are no nuances there are no subtleties to their viewpoint Hmm. either all war is wrong or it's whatever you do and and they might many times try to uh, start with a position of all war is wrong, but then the realities of life come along. Right, and kick you in the teeth. <laughs> and they find out that then now they're stuck with just might makes right. So in the ultimate end, they, they are left with might makes right. And you can see what the secular left have done to the world in the 20th century with more than 100 million people being slaughtered by 
leftist ideology. So, right. so I just want to point out that we need to defend Christianity. That's why it's important about this case where Nabil Qureshi and his friends were arrested in Dearborn for simply sharing the gospel. We have to be able to defend the gospel, to defend Christianity in the United States, because it alone has the hope for mankind to be able to control things like war and to be able to control the tyrants on the left who want to control everybody else. And it contains the true standard for what's right and what's wrong so that we know one from the other. Exactly. We know how to act and how we shouldn't act. Yep. Yep. That is the idea. So that is why we are here defending the gospel and trying to uphold our freedoms mm -hmm. in the United States and uphold the Christian worldview that gave us these freedoms in the first place. Yeah. So it's great that we're politically active and, you know, um, we're conservative, but, you know, how do you know that conservatism is right? We need to be defending the basics, that God exists, yeah. the Bible is the divine word of God, and um, Christianity is true. Well, we've got a caller on the line, so let's see what our caller has to say. Go ahead, caller. Yeah, I'm interested in these um, left-wing uh, hundreds of thousands of millions of deaths. What, what, are you, what are you talking about? Oh, okay, all right. Well, yeah, that's important. If you don't know about that, um, you need to need to get right on that um, because this is one of the greatest lessons of history, um, and it is yeah, that. Who are these, these left-wing people that are, that are killing millions? Uh, well, let's let's just look at Stalin, uh, Lenin, Mao, and Pol Pot. Uh, no, even no, if you no, don't want to include Hitler. Doing anything out of the ideology, left or right, it was all. Oh no, they, it was their personal power. Look it up. Uh, well, I have looked it up, uh, and there's been many historians. And Pol Pot had nothing to do with communism. None of those regimes <laughs> that you're speaking of were actually communist regimes. They were all uh, uh, for personal power for the leader. They just used the excuse of communism or anyism. But okay, well, I, true communism has nothing to do with the central leader taking power and making himself an icon. It has to do with, uh, it's, a, it's an economic system. It's not a, uh, that much a political system. Yeah, but Are the problem, agree? oh, well, true communism, if you're talking never about been, communism never, as an economic system. Has never uh, been tried. <laughs> Where has it ever been tried? Uh, all over the world. Uh, let's try communist Russia. Try. Let's try yeah. Russia. Unfortunately, uh, the the uh, communist ideology and human nature don't mix very well. Because yeah. human nature ends up using it to cause more harm than good. Yeah, but I can't think of anywhere where the communist system was ever used. Have like you read Marx? No, I haven't. Well, okay. hard, uh, Groucho, but not, uh, <laughs> not the other one. Okay. You bet but your it life. It doesn't matter because nobody used his system. Don't you understand that... Uh, well, I don't know where you're getting this idea. I mean, I mean. Well, because I went to school and I've been. Yeah, but every historian. I understand I, uh, what goes on in the world. Okay, all right. Uh, maybe you went to school and they told you this, but um, there've been multiple um, texts written by historians. Um, one called uh, "Death by Government," written by a professor from University of Hawaii, who uh, spent 20 years documenting the 
butchery of the Communist Party and where uh, though? Where in his book Death by oh, Government? Well, there, and this where was the Communist Party uh, committing butchery? That's I mean, we're getting I'm some kind of feedback. There we go. Um, I just named any idea where the Communist Party was causing. Uh, yeah, you know. See, the interesting thing is that probably 99% of the people listening to us right now know that the answer is communist Russia, um, Russia communist China. Communist. Commun Russia was led by Stalin, who was the uh, cultist, and it was, uh, he was building a, um, a system to benefit him. It was not communism. Where else was communism used? Okay, but see, you seem to have special insight into what uh, Stalin was actually thinking. But if well, you, you know, but his insight, you just have to understand history, and you see that he wasn't distributing the wealth to take care of the people. He was collecting it to take care of himself, and he was he was ruling the country by his own fiat. No, That's nothing he, to do with communism. Uh, that was just the words he was using. All There's right, never been an example of a, a, a communist. I'm curious though, used. why has there never been? A perfect example of communism then. Well, I don't care, but you're the one that says that the communists have killed many millions of people for, the, uh, for their leftist ideals. And I'm trying to educate you that we haven't had a communist system yet. Can you name so, one scholar who agrees with you? No, I can't. Okay. All right. Thank you for your call. Okay. So you give up, huh? No, no. I, I, I proved my point. Place where communism killed millions of people. I just did. Where? Communist I Russia, communist China. Stalin was not a communist. Stalin was an oligarchist. <laughs> but that's according to no your... There was communist system being used in Russia then, before then, or after then. According to your point of view, these people were not communists, but they all called themselves communists and felt well, that I they were. I myself Mickey Mouse, but it doesn't give me big ears and blue well, uh, yellow buttons on my pants. I'm that's true. You. All right. You study and you find a definition for uh, the communist economic system and compare it to any of these examples that you keep bringing up, you'll find that communism does not pull out a central leader and make him uh, a cult. It's you know, like uh, Mao or Stalin actually, or Khrushchev. Actually, or that's, actually that's not true. Are, are you familiar with the communist doctrine of the uh, historical dialectic? No, I'm not. Okay. This is what they were trying to do. They were trying to create a historical movement which would lead to the utopian system of uh, government by the proletariat. But in order, I'm talking about Marx, Stalin, Lenin. Uh, but in order to arrive at that place, they had to have the dictatorship Stalin of the. took money from the people. He, he they had to have the. And he used it to support himself. Yes, and he, and he, he called it the dictatorship of the proletariat. So, you know, I, just read up on it. Read Marx. Read I some of these historians. I know exactly what's going on. I'm but you haven't you been able to name a single historian who su supports your view. And, and I have. Matter. So there are many books written on this. This is not even really a debatable question. It, it, it's absolutely debatable. I'm telling you, there's no example of a communist economic system being used in the world. And the Platon, the ones you keep mentioning, were dictators that took over countries and used the guise of communism to build up their own personal power. There's a big difference between Mao and somebody who's trying to institute a communist system. And even people like Castro and, and the guys in South America had nothing to do 
was in a communist economic system. It all had to do with their own personal power. And if you look at it, I think you'll have to agree. But there must be a reason why there has never been a perfect communist society then. Why well, has there never care. been one? You're the one that said that the leftist communists have killed millions of people for their ideology. And that's because that's happened. where the ideology of communism led them. Led who? Led these leaders that we've mentioned to you. No, no. There, are, you, there are no leaders that have practiced communism that didn't do this type of thing. I'm sorry? There are no leaders that we know of in history that practiced this type of ideology that didn't turn into well, tyrants and people that killed said, millions of people in order to maintain their power. Then tell your buddy there who just said that they did. No, he yes. said there are no. There, there aren't any. There, there's, there's no, there's never been a perfect communist society apparently there because it's not possible to, to do it. There hasn't even been close to one. Right, there hasn't. So how can you say that they're out there killing millions of people if there's never been one? You need to listen when you talk. <laughs> yeah, he's. Uh, what do you, what what you're doing is you're. I think we're defining communism yeah, differently here, and that's where the conflict is. I'm tearing your argument to bits, and I'm I'm thinking you're not uh, taking it very well. Yeah, that, well, thanks for your call. We, you know, oh, I appreciate okay. it. Bail out. Well, uh, here, the issue is that you are defining communism in its purest utopian form, but Which that's has never not existed. Right, that's not what historians or people like, listening to this radio show, or um, uh, you know, in this audience would know what you meant by uh, communism. So we're using the typical everyday definition of communism, not its sure. pure totalitarian sense, uh, utopian sense, which is why it doesn't work, because it's utopian. So um, now, people, listeners, <laughs> I hope that you can uh, see why it's so important that we have to learn these issues. We have to know what's going on out there, because... Um, the caller admitted that he hasn't even read Marx's writing, so well, how can he know... Right. what kind of a system he right. did or didn't have if right. he hasn't read what Marx himself wrote about it. And he, hang up, he hung up on us, by the way. <laughs> we didn't hang up on him. Okay. So, um, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, guys like that vote. Um, and if they think that there's somebody out there that can lead them to a true utopia, to, to a world where there's nothing but love and sharing, uh, you know, they're going to vote for that guy. And all of those leaders that you mentioned all started out that way by promising the people all kinds of wonderful things under this system that they had, which yep. led people to vote for them in droves. Yep. And then look where they all ended up. That's right. So now most of these uh, ideas and ideologies are secular. They are atheistic. And yes, communism is very atheistic at its core. Yep. Which is one of the problems with it. And one of the ways that they try to prove their atheism, prove that God does not exist, is with the problem of evil. So let's get into that. But if you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings. And this is the show where we defend the Christian worldview and tell you the evidences and the arguments that support Christianity and its political and economic uh, ideas that come from it. Or at least we try to squeeze that in around the phone calls. That's right. <laughs> so, um, so, Kirk, you've written this article 
the, gu the Garden of Good and Evil. We're going to yes. get into that. But let's just recap a little bit of what we did last week. We talked about this issue. How can God exist with so much evil in the world? How can a good God, the God of the Bible, exist with so much evil in the world? Right. And we mentioned that there are really three aspects to this problem. Okay. There's the issue of that there's a legal... Um, logical right there's the argument that this simply doesn't logically make sense right and then there's and that's that we're going to blow out of the water today right second is the evidential argument or the idea that okay there might be some evidence that god exists but it's not enough to outweigh the tremendous evidence of so much suffering in the world Okay, and it kind of puts the suffering on one side of a scale and the arguments for the existence of God on the other, and the atheist will say, see, this the suffering wins out. The suffering wins out. And then the third angle of this or aspect of this argument is the problem of actual evil and what do we do with it? How do we handle it when it strikes us or our family or our friends or neighbors? So it's this more uh, what they call existential view of evil. and That's the personal... Uh, aspect of, yeah, of dealing encountering with it. evil right. in your life. That's right. And hopefully we'll be able to cover that today, too. So after uh, our analysis last week, then we talked about some of the, the uh, ways not to answer this question. You know, if you're trying to answer this question, here are some of the answers that just don't work. And one of them is answering and saying, well, God can do whatever he wants. And so, you know, don't worry about this question. Uh, he's just doing it. Um, you know, so we which went, is really not an argument at all, right? That's a total right. cop out. It is a cop out. It's a way of copping out. Yes. Yep. Um, then there's this kind of dualistic view of well, you got to have evil to have good, uh, and we talked about the reasons why that doesn't really, uh, really work either. Um, and then we talked about um, Leibniz's answer, the philosopher Leibniz, that. Well, no matter how bad it is, this is still the best of all possible worlds. And so God did it because this is the best that there is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that really also doesn't, uh, doesn't answer it. And then last was the idea that all evil is punishment. That right. um, you know, everything that happens to you that's evil is because uh, you did something wrong right. or somebody did something wrong. Right. So it's like you know, AIDS is the fault of, for, of gays or something like that. It's that kind of a answer to the to evil and that again or that is just totally because you wrong. were nasty to your mother-in-law last night that's why you had a car accident this afternoon <laughs> right yeah but exactly that kind of uh, almost like a superstition type thing yeah so um so let's get into some of the answers and i like the way i you had sent me this paper uh, not knowing that we were going to be talking about this on the radio and i really like the way that you address this issue the problem of evil so we're going to get into that, but before we do, just let's, um, you know, acknowledge the fact that we can't, we don't want to just skim over and say, oh yeah, the, the world is evil, and, but we've got the answer. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're facing, when you're answering a question like this, you really do have to realize that there is an awful lot of evil in the world, mm -hmm. true evil, true yes. cruelty that affects millions and millions of people. And, um, and even if it is possible to understand why it's here, that doesn't necessarily make it easier to go through it. 
It doesn't right. make evil less evil. Right. It's still a really nasty thing. Let's face it. That's right. And so we want to take this issue seriously. We don't want to just blow it off and say, oh, look, you know, we're two really smart guys. We've got the answers, and you just listen to us, and we'll solve and all the— And you'll never suffer again. Right. Or at least if you do, you'll know—you can do it with a smile. Right. Yeah, no, we're, no. we're not saying that. We're uh -huh. not saying that. Not at all. But what we do say, and this goes back to this idea of the— Christian worldview being so nuanced, being so pregnant with concepts, so full of uh, knowledge and truth that we can actually have great impact into this situation. We do have answers. We're not stuck just saying, well, we don't know. We don't know why there is evil in the world. We're really dealing with the so-called experts and scholars who say that uh, there is no real rational reason behind why evil exists therefore there can't be such a thing as a good god right we're answering that question yes. on an intellectual level right and taking the and problem saying, of yeah, evil seriously yes and saying that their arguments don't hold water but that that's, doesn't necessarily um we're not glossing over you know what evil is right or that people go through it right so let's get into your paper. Uh, let me just mention that if you are listening, you're, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith, you can join in the conversation, uh, challenge us like we were challenged earlier, or uh, ask us a question, or if you want to agree with us, call us at 609-398-1020. Now, Kirk, your paper is called The Garden of Good and Evil, mm -hmm. and I like the approach you have. The You give the question... You know, the, you uh, give the problem, that is, if God exists and God is good, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? So that's just, in a nutshell, right. what the issue is, what the problem of evil is. Now That's you, a logical conundrum that right. people have been trying to solve for a long time. And here's the way you unwind this. You start with the premises first and say, well, is it, is it really true? Okay, so the first premise was, if God exists— so you say, first, God does exist, right. and you give five reasons that we can know that God exists. Right. So let's go through these five reasons. How can we know that God exists? So the first thing that you talk about is the issue of the origin of life, and you say there's two possibilities, that, and only two possibilities. Either there was creation yes. or there was spontaneous generation. So Right. Tell us about that. Well, according to uh, a scientist uh, by the name of George Wald uh, in 1954, he wrote in Scientific American magazine, he said, when it comes to the origin of life, there are only two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. So what about spontaneous? So the, the atheist is going to say, well, okay, then I'll take spontaneous generation. Sure. Well, that's what they say. They say that they were non-living chemicals that somehow grouped themselves together by some process and became mm -hmm. living uh, cells. How do we know that's not true? Well, the problem is that science itself long ago proved pretty much beyond a shadow of a doubt that spontaneous generation is impossible. Uh, we can list a bunch of scientists uh, over the between the 16 and 1800s, including Louis Pasteur, which I'm sure mm -hmm. most people know his name, uh, that they proved that the spontaneous 
generation of life from non-life is scientific Im- Im- scientifically impossible. Mm-hmm. And this goes along with what they call the law of biogenesis, right? Which means like begets like, right? You, you, all life comes. Life, from life. must come from life. It can't come from non-life or from something else, right? So basically, that shoots the idea of spontaneous generation out the window, right? So what are we left with? We're left only with creation. That's All right, about so that's it. an excellent argument. Then, because of that, we can know that God exists. And of course, we're we're only giving the short answers here since we only have limited time. I mean, we could spend hours talking about just this topic. And we have done a we've done an entire show. We're skimming show. the surface of these right. arguments. We've done an entire show on the origin of life, and yes, you can you get have. that podcast at the website evidenceforfaith.com. All right, so your second argument that God exists then goes to DNA and talking about the intelligent information that's found in DNA. So tell us a little bit about that. Microbiology has come a long way in the last 30, 40 years. It's, It's really a burgeoning science. And what they've been finding has been incredible, things that they never expected to find there. Uh, for instance, it's, it's been scientifically verified that DNA, which makes up all living things, contains a vast amount of intelligent information that is not physical in nature, that determines every detail of the physical makeup of the living creature. Mm-hmm. It couldn't, therefore, it couldn't have evolved from ev- anything because only physical structures evolve. Okay. So, um, but you're saying that information isn't physical. Yes. Okay. Information, you've got matter, you've got energy, you've got information, which is intelligent, which is a totally different thing from mm-hmm. something you can touch or feel or any type of energy. All right. It's non-physical in nature, and it must come from an intelligent source. Excellent. Excellent. Now, we... So I, what is that intelligent source? Well, you know <laughs> what? We are going to get into this more next week because let me announce right now for our audience that we're going to have a terrific guest on next week. His name is Dr. Stephen Myers. He has... Oh, I know him. Yeah, you know of him, right? I encountered him many times in my research. Yes, he is a brilliant um, uh, young scientist uh, who wrote the book Signature in the Cell, Mm -hmm. and he, he will be on the show next week, and we'll ask him about specifically this question about the evidence for the information found on the DNA. So yeah. so we will uh, get into that more next week. But Kirk, let's get back to your arguments. Number three then you have down, you talk about how the brain and the mind are two separate entities. So how is that an evidence that God exists? Yes, I, I put forth the argument that the human mind in itself is an argument for God's existence. Uh, because scientists have repeatedly demonstrated that the brain and the mind are two different things. A doctor can't tell you what you're thinking simply by studying your physical brain. You have to tell him what you're thinking or he'll never be able to figure it out. And another example would be if a surgeon has to remove part of your brain, like for a tumor or something, Mm -hmm. you don't become a partial person after that. You're still who you were before the surgery, even though... Part of your physical brain is missing, your mind is still there the same way it was before. Right. So that's an argument that they're two different things. Um, yep. So, okay. So and th- again, like begets like. 
Our minds and our personal identity, according to this scientific idea, could only have come from another mind who is also an individual person. Right. Or he, he couldn't have created us as individuals if he wasn't one himself. Okay, very good. So that's not only evidence that uh, God exists, but it's evidence that he is a thinking mind. He's personal. He's not an yeah. impersonal force because the impersonal cannot create the personal. Right. That's another scientific idea. Right. So an impersonal force could not have created our individual personalities. Excellent. Okay, now, number four, then, evidence why God, we can know God exists. You talk about... Uh, Darwinian evolution and how that is contradicted by the first law of thermodynamics and that the simple can't create the complex. So tell us a little bit about that yeah. idea. Of course, here we're back to the idea of creation versus spontaneous generation because Darwinian mm -hmm. evolution is based on the idea of spontaneous generation taking place at some time in the past that started the whole process. So that's a problem right there. The other two problems with it are both the first and second laws of thermodynamics. And these are scientific laws, mm -hmm. I should remind you. Right. Uh, of course, the first law of thermodynamics states that matter and energy cannot be converted or can be converted from one to another, but cannot be created or destroyed. Okay, then okay. how did everything create itself? <laughs> and the second law says that... Um, it's kind of a complex scientific idea, but basically it's saying that all order eventually becomes disorder, and the okay. universe is in the process of winding down. Right. Whereas so evolution argues the opposite, that it's right. actually winding up. Uh-huh. So science says the simple cannot become the complex. Right. But evolution says, oh, yes, it can. Right. Okay. That's not scientific. It Excellent. just isn't. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. And then the fifth... You talk about how the cell um, somehow randomly assembled itself, so it, and then this is an impossibility. So yes, I talk about uh, the idea of uh, the you know what are the odds that a single living cell could have assembled itself from non-living mm -hmm. components sometime in the past, and I give a number of examples of different scientists who have scientifically calculated the odds of this happening based on all the evidence that we have. And I'm sure that Stephen Meyer has probably worked in this area too and can address this issue as well. Mm -hmm. Almost all of these scientists, or actually I should say all the ones that I know of, all come up with these incredibly large odds against that ever happening. Mm -hmm. So that in itself, of course, that doesn't prove that it didn't happen but it says statistically it's virtually impossible that and, it could have happened. And you would have needed a lot more time than even the age of the Earth, even the oldest al calculations of the age of the but universe. But even according to these scientists, they say that time has very little to do with it. Whether you have a little bit of time or a lot of time, it couldn't have happened, no matter just which it was. Too outrageous. It, it just doesn't, you know, it's, it's like... Um, you have your car and tomorrow you're going to come out and it's going to be sitting there and it's a rabbit. You know, I mean, right. it just, it doesn't happen. <laughs> right. Gotcha. All right. So, so with those five evidences, then you show that, uh, no, in fact, we have good reason to believe that God does exist. Right. So as we're looking at this problem, if a good God exists, 
how can there be evil? We can look and say, well, the evidence shows that God does exist. So let's address this second point. Is the God second point good? is, is God good? Yeah, because maybe right. the answer is that, okay, God exists, but because there's so much evil in the world, we know he's not good. Right. You know, he must be some kind of evil God, or at least maybe not caring. And, or has and, no standards one way or the other. Right. So how do you address this issue? Well, you give five evidences that we can know that God is good, and they're based on the concept that um, we can rely on the Bible. The Bible tells us that God is good. So Yes, repeatedly. And so I actually lay out here a couple of basic evidences for why we should accept the Bible as being accurate and saying that he is good. Okay, because if we know the Bible is true, then we can look in the Bible and it tells us that God, no, in fact, God is a good God, so there must be some other answer. So that, that in itself becomes reliable evidence that he's good because the Bible says he is. Okay, so let's take a look at that then. So the first evidence you have is about... Uh, the fact that the Bible is a historical document and that yes. archaeological evidence has confirmed its accuracy and authenticity. So, authentic. Yes, and so, this could be a whole other program in itself. Which the, we've, we have done this one. I believe you have, yep. yes. The incredible number of archaeological discoveries over the past, I don't know, thousands of years that have really um, supported what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple of quotes here from different uh, scientists and scholars that basically say that. They say that, to their knowledge, there's never been an archaeological discovery that directly contradicted any historical statement in the Bible. Wonderful. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, somebody will say, well, we might find one tomorrow that contradicts it. Okay, we might. But so far, after hundreds of years of doing this, we haven't found one single example of something that directly uh, undermined any right. historical statement in the Bible. So that's pretty good evidence good, yeah. right there. Right. Good, uh, uh, good track record on the part of the Bible. Right. So then secondly, you talk about, um, oh, let's see, the secular scholars and writers uh, back up. Who also back up the historical statements right. in the Bible. So tell us about that. Now, to have people that believe in the Bible, you know, to say we have evidence that it's true is one thing, but when you have people that don't accept the Bible, but they still admit, well, there's quite a bit of evidence that what's in here, that this actually happened this way, that is quite a proof. Well, give us, uh, you actually list some names of some people that have written about, for instance, the New Testament um, being accurate in describing Jesus as having been crucified and being yep. worshipped as God. There are quite a number of secular sources from the first century that mention different statements about who Jesus was, the fact that he was uh, a wandering teacher, that he committed miracles that they couldn't explain, that he died on a cross, that mm -hmm. his followers claimed that he rose from the dead three mm -hmm. days later. Mm -hmm. They verify all these historical facts by admitting, yes, I've heard that. That's true. Some of them... Uh, our Roman historians, um, I don't know if any of our listeners will recognize any of these names, but some of them are Cornelius Tacitus, Suetonius, uh, uh, a writer named Thallus, and there are a number of Roman emperors yes. mentioned Jesus in their writings, such as Trajan, Hadrian, Antonius Pius, Marcus Aurelius. Yep. Uh, that's pretty good proof that he existed and that he 
the story about him in the New Testament is basically true. And there are many other examples of mm -hmm. historians and philosophers who lived at that time who mentioned Jesus in their writings. So from right. that we know the basics of his life must be true because these contemporaries of his all heard these accounts as well. Right, right. Okay, third, you talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls. How yes. do the Dead Sea Scrolls prove that the Bible... Uh, that is a very excellent proof that the documents that we have of both the Old and the New Testaments are reliable copies of the original documents because the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were... They started to find these in 1947, and they found hundreds of them, um, most of them dating back to about 68 A.D., which is within 30 years of when Jesus lived. Mm -hmm. And there are copies of every Old Testament book. Some are, are not complete books, but there is at least a segment of every Old Testament book in those documents. Mm -hmm. And when they are compared to the copies that we have today, they match nearly perfectly except Excellent. for small like one word changes like uh unimportant words like at or the or a or whatever might be different but other than that they're exactly the same all right quickly go over the next two proofs then because we want to get to the actual answer that you have okay uh a fourth uh proof of the reliability of the bible and telling us that god is a good god is that we have uh, more than 25,000 different ancient copies of the New Testament mm -hmm. in existence today, which is far more than any other ancient document that we possess. So we can know that it's reliable and... That, that itself when it tells us that, the copies we yeah. have today are reliable copies because they match these all these other copies. And the fifth one, we've done a, a show on this, fine-tuning of the universe. Yes. Okay, how does that prove that God is good? Um, you, you probably did it much better than I could do it, but, you know, the fact that there are so many different aspects of our planet and mm -hmm. our existence that are so finely tuned that if they were even a couple of percent different than they are, life would have been impossible on this planet. Right. So we so have obviously been doesn't cared Doesn't that for argue for the fact that if God created everything and he fine-tuned it all so exactly so that our life would be possible mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. isn't that good it is he, he's obviously he's done this for our benefit for us yes right. sure so then you've shown us that god does exist you've shown us that god is good so what is the answer then why what is the christian worldview's answer to why there is so much evil in the world real evil real suffering okay how i put it in my paper here is i i have the short answer and i have the long answer mm -hmm. <laughs> the short answer Drum roll. <laughs> Human free will is the short answer okay. as to why evil exists. All right. So uh, build on that then. What, okay. does, what does that mean? Going into a little more detail about that, um, that evil and suffering exist as a direct result of the fact that God created us as conscious individuals with the innate power of free will. We're free agents able to independently choose what we will do or not do, or will be, mm -hmm. or will not be. Mm -hmm. So the reason he did this was he didn't want to create mindless robots that had no choice in what they were doing, that he could just make us do whatever he wanted us to. He wanted us to be thinking, rational beings like he is. And free. 
and free with the f- ability to choose what we want to do. Okay. Now, unfortunately, his purpose in doing that was so that we could freely choose to do what is right. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that the dark side of it, if you want to put it that way, right. is that at the same time, that also gives you the possibility of choosing to do wrong okay. and to rebel against God, mm-hmm. which is what we did. Mm-hmm. The story in Genesis of Adam and Eve disobeying God is the first example in history of that happening. Uh-huh. And that started the downward slide. So so evil then came, became created essentially by man and produced the results that we see down through time. Yes. Almost all evil and suffering in the world today can be traced back to a wrong or immoral or evil or stupid or foolish decision by someone and the consequences of that like throwing a stone in a pond ripple out from that and then what about things like tornadoes and earthquakes natural disasters yes yes Uh, people i i know a lot of people who say well what about all the natural disasters like the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the things that we can't control Mm -hmm. well the bible also tells us that because God is a just God, when human beings chose to rebel against him back in ancient times, however long ago that was, um, he couldn't just let that slide. And because these people that were in rebellion against him didn't deserve to live in a perfect world anymore because they had been corrupt, he subjected his creation to corruption. Mm-hmm. So that's the world that we live in today. It's not originally the way God created it. So still, ultimately, the responsibility of man for the moral choices that we It's our sin and rebellion that forced God in his justness to do this. Got it. So in a way, we're responsible for the natural disasters in a, in a, you know, a broad sense. Right. Well, Kirk, it's been wonderful having you with us uh, the past two days. I appreciate uh, all your help. While Mike is away, he's uh, on vacation in Spain and coming back today, I think. I wonder if he's listening to us on the internet. Could be. You have Hi, been, Mike. There you go. You have been listening to Evidence for Faith with Keith Kendricks and Kirk Hastings. And uh, join us again next week, Sunday at 4 p.m. We will have the author, scientist, Dr. Stephen C. Myers on, author of Signature in the Cell. So that'll be a great interview. And always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.